Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. And it reads as follows. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whoever sows, uh, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. May God richly bless both the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Uh, As Paul's custom is when writing to any of the various churches, he closes this letter of Galatians with what we would call practical exhortations. And these exhortations emanate from the gospel doctrines that Paul has articulated in the earlier portion of the letter. In fact, the way some would express it is this, that Paul's, Paul's usual method of letter writing is that he would uh, begin with clear expressions of what we possess in Christ uh, by faith and who we are in Christ by virtue of our union with him. And then he closes uh, with, in his closing sections, uh, he admonishes his readers to live in light of those things. Uh, Now, on the whole, and and basically what that, that means in the way many have taken it, is that Paul begins by general uh, expressions of the gospel and says, this is what you, what you have been given, and now go and live. And, and I guess on the surface, on whole, that might, that might be generally true, but it's in, and it would in some cases be an accurate assessment of the books or the letters that Paul addresses to the churches, But I think that can also be an overly simplistic analysis. In other words, to just say that Paul's letters begin with uh, general expressions about the gospel and that they close with our call to duty overlooks the fact that most of Paul's letters are really really, uh, uh, aimed at addressing particular problems. In other words, each congregation that he writes to, and there are a couple of exceptions, but in each, for the most part, for instance, with Corinthians, his first, uh, the, the, the two letters that he has written to the Corinthian church, the letter to the Galatians, the letter to the Colossians, those are addressing specific problems and challenges that are faced uniquely by these congregations. There is some crossover and there is enough general exhortation uh, to make application outside of those local settings. But, I, I, but Paul is writing to particular problems. And because he's addressing particular problems, his gospel exposition and his doctrinal formulations are addressed to answer those problems. And in the same vein, the practical exhortations at the end of the letters are really aimed at the problem that prompted him to write in the first place. Uh, So what I mean by this, and it might seem subtle, in fact, some might even think that it's an unnecessary distinction that we're making here. But what I mean by that is if you look at our text, uh, uh, where Paul exhorts the, the Galatian Christians to be engaged in doing good, and he does this, uh, which is obviously a good thing. Christians should be exhorted and reminded of what our duties are in Christ. 
and he does exhort them to do good, but he and within especially within the context of the the covenant community. Two statements in particular in verse 6 where he says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And then in verse 10, he says, So then, just as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So his exhortation is a general exhortation. In those two verses, it's general. In other words, whatever issues you are dealing with in your local church, the rightness of those two facts can't be disputed. But Paul also frames these exhortations to to doing good. He frames them in three general principles. Three general principles. And as we see in our text, the three general principles that he frames his exhortation to do good on is one, whatever you sow, you shall reap. And that's just, he's taking this as an analogy from from agriculture that if you plant uh, corn, then you don't expect to get pecans, right? Uh, And so whatever you sow, you'll reap. The second principle that he fleshes out or that he builds on where he gives the exhortation to do good is you can sow to the flesh or you can sow to the spirit. That's that's just general. He says it doesn't matter. And we're going to see that perhaps that may not mean what we think it means in this context. But that's, that's, that's true. He says, one, whatever you sow, you will reap. And you have the capacity, hold in mind that he's speaking to what he assumes to be believers. And he says, therefore, even as believers, you can sow seed to the the, the flesh or to the spirit. Holding in mind principle number one. But whatever you sow, that's what you're going to get back. But then the third principle that he draws on is that God cannot be mocked or fooled. God can't be. And so those are the three principles. Now, hold in mind, you can just extract these three principles from this text, and they are independently true. You can hang them on your refrigerator without any context, without any explanation, without any exposition, without any exegesis, and whoever walks by and your refrigerator and they see it, they'll say, yeah, that makes sense. Because it's just independently true. All of these things, all of these things, whether it is whatever you sow, you will reap, or you have the ability to sow to the flesh or sow to the spirit, or that you can't fool God, all three of these things are true. And whether they were written, in fact, if all Paul did to the Galatians was write those three things, then it's true. But Paul doesn't just write those three things. You see, we we don't need the rest of of the book of Galatians in order for these things to be true or even to understand what he means by them. However, we do have the rest of Galatians, and it is specifically because of the issues that Paul addresses in this congregation or in this group of churches, because it wasn't just one church, it was a group of churches, So therefore, whatever Paul is addressing within the context of these congregations, he is making application of these general truths in that specific context. In other words, the apostle 
is addressing in this letter a very specific problem. And when it comes down to the Galatian church, it, it seems like it, uh, these churches, that for the most part, what Paul is addressing is the influence of a group of teachers. These teachers are called Judaizers. They are Judaizers because they were basically teaching two things. And I, I've come to a different conclusion on this. I used to say that the Galatians were teaching salvation by faith plus by, by, uh, by obedience to the external ritual law. But I've come away with a different understanding. I think the problem that Paul is addressing here is not only is that the Judaizers were teaching salvation both by uh, salvation or justification, salvation or, 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 and sanctification, I should say, by works. In other words, that what, what these teachers were teaching is that justification, which means to gain a right standing before God, is on the basis of keeping the Mosaic law and faith in Christ. But here's where I've, I've sort of modified my thinking on this that the Galatians weren't just teaching you are saved by keeping the law, they were also teaching sanctification by the law. And we'll see that in a moment, that, that Paul is addressing this problem, and this is a serious problem. In other words, here's what the Judaizers were teaching, is that the basis of our justification, the right standing before God, and the basis of our sanctification being conformed to the law of God or to the image of God is through law keeping. So in other words, it is all, whether it's justification or sanctification, it is the result of works. And by the way, anytime you mix faith and works, works always drowns out faith. In fact, works make faith nebulous when you mix them. And so it's not about, well, you got to balance it out. No, we have to understand what is clearly taught in the scripture. So let me just look at a couple of places in, earlier in this letter where Paul gets to the heart of the issue that was troubling the churches of Galatia. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That's key when we come back to chapter 6. It's key. Paul is questioning them. Are you saying that you are saved, even if they are mixing it with faith? Are you saying that you who have received the Spirit by faith are now going to be perfected by the flesh? And by the flesh, what he means is adherence to the law. But also we see in verses 10 through 14 in that same chapter, he says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under, the, under a curse, for it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. 
But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now in both of those passages, what Paul is addressing throughout that whole third chapter is not even the issue of justification or how is one saved. But he is more concerned of their teaching on, on obedience. And boy, I... I can't help when I listen to various programs and and sometimes even from conservative Christian circles, I hear Paul's words of rebuke here when we talk about works. That we speak as if we are sanctified before God on the basis of our performance or we think that we will lose something because of our, our failure in performance. So then as we look at our text, here's the question that is raised. When Paul says that God is not mocked, what does he mean when he tells them the, tells the Galatians that God is not mocked? Or to put it another way, in what way does Paul infer or imply that the Galatians are in effect trying to mock God, even if they don't think they're doing it? But in what, in, in what way is he inferring that they are somehow Mocking God. Three things. One, by thinking that works of the law will justify them before God. And what Paul is calling this is laboring in the flesh. So when he comes back and says that whatever you sow, that will you reap. And if you sow to the flesh, you will reap of the flesh. He's not, this isn't a, just a, even though you can apply it and use it in the same way, a lot of people use the book of Proverbs as pithy little statements that are just true anyway. But no, Paul is saying, in essence, what you're doing, if you are trying to gain a right standing before God on the basis of your scrupulous law keeping, then you are mocking him because you don't even understand, you don't understand what you're doing. You are sowing to the flesh. You're sowing to human efforts. And his implication is you will get what you have sowed. Now hold in mind, when it comes to keeping the law, when it comes to keeping the law, anyone, especially the second table of the law, when the law requires certain things of us, there is someone who will benefit from it. As the law gives or commands people to to do certain things, yes, any good that we do to our neighbors, it benefits them. But What Paul is saying, you are fooling yourself. A, if you think that your works of the law, which benefit your neighbor, that it will earn you something eternally. That's his point here. Uh, Of course, our neighbors will benefit from our law, Luther or from our law keeping, Luther used to always say that God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. And the mistake that we make, and this is how we have converted these two verses to almost nothing more than Christian sort of karma. 
Whatever you do is going to come right back to you. No, that's not what Paul is making here. That's not the point that he's making. He's telling the Galatians that you're seeking to be justified by God on the basis of your law keeping is nothing more than sowing to the flesh. But then secondly, he also is inferring that by thinking that their works of the law are complete, complete enough before God, That is also a form of deception. And this is where, again, in chapter 3, he's made the point that anyone who is trying to gain or keep a right standing before God on the basis of law-keeping, here's what you have to be mindful of. uh, Mindful of, if you are negligent in any one part, then you're guilty of the whole law. And so if you are standing before God, and you think that he owes you something, because of your law keeping or if you think that somehow that you have kept enough of the law to earn something from God, then you are deceived and so you're deceived but not God. That's, that's his point. But thirdly, he's also inferring that by expecting to reap spiritual fruit from these fleshly works of the law, it's a form of them mocking God thinking that they will, that, that somehow, uh, first off, that, that their works themselves will justify them before God, and secondly, that their works, that, the, that in the works that they have performed, that they are to the degree that God has required. It's amazing how often, again, contemporary Christians fall into that same trap. When their deeds fail them, when people's deeds of their hands are not what they ought to be, here's what people are quick to say. But the Lord knows my heart. Do you hear your words or do you know your heart? Yeah, but the Lord knows my heart. Yes, exactly. He does know your heart and your heart is worse than what your hands have not done. You see, and therefore to think that somehow that they have done everything or able to do everything that the law has required and are not guilty in any part of it is deception. But then when you wrap that up with this, thinking that they are justified by, by keeping the law and thinking that they have done everything that the law requires, then they bring their little report cards to God and are expecting him to reward them thinking that somehow by doing these duties of the law, which they think they have kept on their own, and to the degree that God has required, they are now expecting blessings from God. That's why almost to some extent, I wish we didn't even have Malachi 3 in there, in in the scriptures. I almost wish we didn't because so many people are attaching the flesh to that and are thinking that because I give, then that's why I get. And that's not what, what, what God is saying at all. In fact, he is, telling his, he is telling national Israel, you failed because of your failure to keep that. But that's not, that's not the spirit of that law, of that, of that word. We see the same thing, and I've mentioned this over and over again. But it was captured and became popular a number of years ago when blessings go up, or when praises go up, blessings come down. And the assumption is, I'm just going to offer some praise so that I can get some blessing as if 
we have kept God's law or that somehow something that we have done, disconnected from God's grace in Christ, is able to trigger something in God and make him do something on our behalf. So again, look at the three principles that Paul bases this exhortation. Here's what we know, that whatever you sow, you will reap. You have the capacity to sow to the flesh or sow to the spirit. And his point to the Galatians is that God is not fooled. God is not like us who might not be agriculturally minded that we might mistake as, as, as crop is coming up until we see a sign on it. We might mistake, you know, greens from cabbage or something else. We, we might mistake cabbage or, or, or uh, turnip greens from, from collard greens. We might mistake, but God is not us. He knows what you sow. And the return on what you sowed is according to what you sow. And Paul's challenge to the Galatians is not that, oh, you're not, you better do it, do, do good so that you can get good. No, that's not his challenge to the Galatians. His challenge to the Galatians is that the very basis and motivation for your doing good is twisted. And what it is, is sowing to the flesh. And he's telling them that no matter how, how much celebrated it is, it is, doesn't matter how much spiritual language you wrap around it, it doesn't matter your sincerity, it is still sowing to the flesh. Brothers, brothers and sisters, all of the ideas of unlocking blessings, Anything that seeks blessings from God that are not anchored in Christ is nothing more than sowing to the flesh. Doesn't matter how, how sacred the music sounds when you're doing it and when you're going through the motions. But no, there's, there's no num, nothing you can write out. Nothing you can, there is no formula. There is no plan. There is no breakthrough. There is no amount of laying on of hands that anything, any formulaic thing that you do, assuming that God is now going to bless that, is sowing to the flesh. And what Paul is saying is you don't get it. That is not. He says you will get exactly what you sow. So chain letters and all of these things that we can't break. And has anybody gotten a chain letter? I, 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 you would think, well, no, I wouldn't think. I, I was going to say, you used to just get them in the mail, but then when computers came along, now you get them in emails. And I've got I've, I've to admit, I've been surprised at some of the people that chain letters have come from. And the idea is that if you do this, then you'll get this from God. And what Paul is doing is saying here that that is sowing to the flesh. It's sowing to the flesh. And look at what he says about sowing to the flesh. It's, he says not only will you reap of the flesh, but notice what he says. He says, anyone who sows to his own flesh will from, his, from the flesh 
reap corruption. Reap corruption. It's, it, it, it comes as no surprise to me that in a generation where the Lord's table has become so trivialized, that on top of it we have all kinds of gimmicks and all kinds of gadgets and all kinds of things to get us close to God. Even as we walk, from, walk away from his table, not recognizing that what God serves us from his table tells us that we are as close as we will ever get in this life by virtue of our faith in Christ. That brings us to a final thought then. If sowing to the flesh according to Paul's words to the Galatians is a matter of them seeking justification by the law, being deceived to think that they have fully kept the requirements of the law, and then expecting God to bless them on the basis of their physical keeping of the law, then what does it mean to sow to the Spirit? What does it mean to sow to the Spirit? I think at least three things that, as we see fleshed out throughout the balance of this book. Number one, to sow to the Spirit I think it begins by receiving God's grace in Christ by faith. To receive God's grace in Christ by faith. That's his language. Again, if we go back to chapter 3 where where Paul... In fact, let's look in chapter 4. In chapter 4, Paul gives us this wonderful analogy and then he gives us this interesting challenge. In chapter 4, beginning in verse uh, 21... He says, now tell me, you who desire to be under the law, which is according to the flesh. You who desire to be the flesh. And, and one of the, one of the, we, we got to keep making this point that sometimes people who think they're being spiritual, all they are doing is being of the flesh. Any spiritual religious activity that is not grounded in who you are in Christ and trust in Christ is a work of the flesh. So even though he speaks of you who desire to be under the law, read that to mean you who are acting in the flesh. So he says, tell, tell me, who, uh, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar, Hagar is, um, is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. And boy, if I were to update this, I would say to the current evangelical church that that's what she, that's what she, she, she corresponds to. Hagar corresponds to Mount Sinai in Arabia and to earthly or to the Jerusalem, he says, that is uh, the, uh, the, the present Jerusalem. She, for she is in slavery with her children. We had an interesting conversation a few um, weeks ago with Elise Fitzpatrick, and she was talking about 
all of the different things that evangelical women are given as the model for what a woman to, is to be. And if you haven't done this, then you are not, you know, you're not a woman of destiny. You're not a woman of whatever. And all it is is just new faces on Mount Sinai. It enslaves people. And so here's what he says. He says, that's, that's, and all of that is equivalent to slavery. So he says, Hagar is representative to, of slavery, both she and her children. He says, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, and you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brethren, we are not children of the slave first, or are but children of the free woman. So, how then do we sow of the Spirit? We sow of the Spirit by, first of all, receiving God's grace by faith as it is in Christ. That's why I love, I think one of the most theologically sound uh, lyrics in any Christian hymn is nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. We don't bring promises, we don't bring resolutions, we don't bring vows, all we bring is confession of guilt with empty hands, and with those hands we cling by faith to the mercies of God that are given in Christ. And brothers and sisters, when you reach for Christ by faith, then you are expressing no hope and no confidence in the flesh. We, we sow to the Spirit by freely receiving God's grace as it is in Christ. It's, it's no conditions. It's, it is unconditional love that we receive and it is unconditional faith that we receive it with. We don't receive it, well, do me this one favor, Lord, and I'll. No, we recognize that God in his great mercy while we were yet sinners sent his son to live for our righteousness and die for our sins and we cling to that by faith. That's how we begin to sow in the spirit. But here's the second thing. We, we sow to the spirit. By responding to God's grace. And by living in faith. Not just receiving in faith. But by living in that faith. In chapter 2 verses 20 and 21. And I remember this from an old Easter speech. That I had to give growing up. But in chapter 2. Paul says this. At, uh, in verses 20 and 21 he says I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith 
in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God if for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. We sow to the spirit by receiving God's grace through faith, by, by our faith in Christ. But we sow to the spirit by responding to saving faith through living in faith. This is what Paul means when he says we walk not by, we walk by not by sight but by faith. We walk by trusting. We trust that what God says is true. We expend ourselves because we trust. I love in I think it's in Luke's gospel when Jesus encounters uh, two, uh, he, he encounters some, some lepers on the road and he tells them to go and show yourself to the priest. Go and show yourself to the priest. That's all he told them. Go and show yourself to the priest. And, and the scripture says, as they went on their way, as they went on their way, they were healed. And, 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 and so they, they were headed. They, they, didn't say, they weren't headed home. Jesus told them to go to the priest, and where they were headed was to the priest. Now, some have suggested that they, were, they weren't healed because Luke says as they went on their way, they were healed. And you could imagine some might, might think, according to the Mosaic law, the only reason a, priest, a, a leper was to go to the priest was to have the priest tell him that he's no longer leprous. So when Jesus spoke those words, they were still leprous. And so you might imagine somebody just saying, well, you know what, here's another fake healer, you know, and let me just go my way. What is he going to do? Why would I go to the priest? I could imagine somebody debating, what am I going to go to the priest for? He won't have me. But there was no debate. Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. And they went, headed to the priest. And when they went on their way, they were healed. You know the rest of it. Only one came back. Doesn't matter. They were all healed. Brothers and sisters, sometimes living by faith, it doesn't mean doing stupid things. But it means trusting in the wisdom of God. And sometimes we have to go outside of our, in fact, we always, and it's surprising to me that we think that it's a big thing for us to go outside of our comfort zone. Do you know how much out of our comfort zone it is to fall before the throne of God and say, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner? Most of us from the time we were toddlers had a problem saying, I'm sorry. And as we've grown older, it becomes harder. So yes, we go outside of our comfort zone. We don't do stupid things, but we trust the word of God. And we sow to the spirit, not only by receiving God's grace by faith in Christ, but by living in that faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk, we, we love as God has loved us. Why? Not so that we can get something. Not so that we, because we've gotten love right, but because we've been loved. We sow to the Spirit by living in faith, by trusting what God says, and, and the trust in what God says is manifest in our actions. 
I think one of, my, one of the miracles, especially in the Old Testament, that stands out the most to me is the woman that Elisha went to her house, the widow who was about to fix her last meal and her and her son so they could eat and die. And then the prophet comes by and says, fix me some. And she said, no, you don't get it. You know, I'm about to fix a meal for me and my son so we can die. He says, no, no, fix me some. And so she trusted the God that he represented and she gave of her last meal and her last oil. And the reason I love this miracle is because of the way it's described. It says, it doesn't say that she went to her cupboard and the next thing you know she had a three-year supply of oil and, and cornmeal. No. It says that, that it's the, the oil and the meal just never ran out. For three years, it just didn't run out. I, I would like to imagine that every day it started at the same level. And then when she dipped out, obviously it's reduced. But lo and behold, you go back and there it is. We sow to the spirit by living, by faith. And brothers and sisters, sometimes, it, and it's, it's interesting to me that those who speak the most about faith show the least amount of faith. They are measuring God's faithfulness to them or the degree of their faith by things that you can see. And the whole point of faith is trusting that which we don't see yet. But knowing that God is true to his word. So how do we, how do we sow to the spirit? By receiving God's grace in Christ with the empty hands of faith. And secondly, by walking in that faith rather than according to our own intuitions and the way things appear to us. But thirdly, I think we walk by, we sow to the Spirit by walking in the Spirit. This is what he says in chapter 5, verse 16. That great passage where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. In verse 16 he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, let me, what does that mean? It's, it's easy to say. How do you walk by the Spirit? It doesn't mean something secretive. It doesn't mean having a secret language. It doesn't mean having, you know, your prayer. To, no, walking by the Spirit is to walk in light of what the Spirit illumines in the person and work of Christ. In other words, here's what we are told. Jesus says, love one another even as I have loved you. We'll come up with a bazillion reasons of why we can't in this situation. How do we walk in the Spirit? By trusting the Spirit of God and being willing enough to exercise love where we don't want to show it. That's walking by faith and that's walking in the Spirit. We're not therefore loving so that we can receive anything from God. We're not therefore showing love or patience or look at any of the other attributes that he names there. We're not doing these things so that we can get to heaven or so that we can get a crown. Literally to walk in the spirit is to walk on the earth with the knowledge that you're seated in heavenly places. 
I think that's what Paul means in Colossians 3 where he says if, you are, if you've been raised with Christ and, and then set your mind on things that are above where Christ is seated. And then he says for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. We sow to the spirit by walking in the spirit. Paul's exhortations to the Ephesians is to not grieve the spirit. And why does he say that? Because he's saying that everything that you need to know about your virtue or about your, your gifts and your graces that are in Christ, everything you need to know to be pleasing to God is made available to you as the word of God is expounded to you. Don't grieve the spirit by putting your fingers in your ears and acting like you don't know. Don't, don't grieve the spirit by, not, by, by, by satisfying your own carnal and craven and fallen urges. He says, no, walk in the lights of the Spirit. Walk. Here's what Paul says, and we looked at this this morning in Colossians 1, verses 12 through 14. He says four things that, about the saints. He says, first off, you have been given an inheritance. Now, some folk... Um, and I think of, of uh, uh, future a- college athletes who are about to go into the pros, and they haven't, they haven't even got their first paycheck yet, right? But they know they're going to be a number one pick, so they get an agent, and they can go anywhere, pretty much. They can go to any car dealer, especially, and, and say, listen, I'm number one pick, and, and so they can get something even though they don't have the money yet <laughs> because they know that he's good. He's a draft pick. He's going to get it. So here's what Paul says. We have received the inheritance of the saints in light. So we ought to act like first-round draft picks. We we ought to to walk around like we have money in the bank. It's not in our pocket yet, but it's charged to our account. When we walk like we have, like all of the stuff that Paul describes as the fruit of the Spirit, it's already ours. Spend it. Spend it. Spend love. Spend patience. Spend it like it's going out of style. Because Paul says there's no law against that. So we have inheritance. Here's what he also says. He says you've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness. So stop acting like it. (laughs) Stop walking like you're in darkness. The war is over. You're not in darkness anymore. You've already been translated out of the kingdom of darkness But then thirdly, he says, you have been, because it's not like we are without a kingdom. He says, you've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, and you have been translated into the kingdom of his son. Walk around like you're in the kingdom of light. And then fourthly, he says, you have forgiveness of sins. Walk like, act like you've been Forgiven. That's what it means to sow to the spirit. Remember when Jesus was at Simon, the tax collector's house, and, and, and the woman that was at his, she was a woman of, of questionable reputation, and she could not so much as look up at him, but she continued to wash the feet of Jesus with tears, with tears and, a, and an expensive alabaster box of oil. She washed his feet and anointed his feet Everybody else was saying, oh, he, if he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she is. And Jesus says, I know what kind of woman she is, but you don't get it. He who has been forgiven much, loves much. Bask 
in your forgiveness, the knowledge of your forgiveness. That's what it means to sow to the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, here's what Paul is telling the Galatians. He's not just giving them some, he's not giving them Aesop's fables. He's not just giving them some little proverb. He's telling a church who is so locked into the things of the law, thinking that somehow they are able to earn something from God and are probably saying, because, well, we don't have this anymore, so therefore God must be, so let us now get... He said, no, no, that's in the flesh. You sow to the flesh, yield reap of the flesh. But then here's what he's telling them. Others might be mocked, but God is not fooled. He knows flesh from spirit. He knows knows what is reeking of the law and inconclusively, I might add, And he knows what reeks of the grace of his son. Don't be deceived. God is not fooled. God is not a bull that you wave something and that that gets a response out of him. God is holy. And God is all knowing. And he's given us the opportunity to serve him. And we can serve in the spirit by trusting God's grace in Christ and living like free people. Or we can try to serve him in the flesh and begrudgingly do things. And I know some people, they don't don't love the Lord as much as they love where they are. In in fact, there was a story that was told of, of a of a church that had in one particular city where uh, at, one, at one time it was a Baptist church and then it was a Presbyterian church and then it was a Pentecostal church and then it was a Unitarian church. But there was one guy who was there through it all. And someone came to him and said, Brother, you've been a member of all of these churches. What, well, how is it that you, you know, do you, do you recognize the differences of all of these different churches that have been through here? He said, it doesn't matter to me. I was here when we laid the first brick, and I'm going to be here until it is, is torn down. doesn't matter. I'm going to be here. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we can serve the Lord through the flesh, or we can serve him through the spirit. But however we serve him, Be mindful of this. Whatever you sow, you will reap. If it is of the flesh, you'll see its corruption. And if it's of the spirit, we'll see the fruit of it in eternity. But be aware of this. God is not mocked. He will return whatever it is according to its kind. Let us therefore serve the Lord in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we come to you in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We do thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who has illumined to us our greatest need and who has shown us our Savior. We thank you for creating faith in our hearts through the ministry of your gospel. 
Now, Father, we always are struggling with the flesh. And our temptation is to always approach you and even serve you in the name of the flesh. But we pray that you would banish any thought. We pray that you would grant us a firmer grasp of your grace in Christ. And as we are grounded in who we are in him, let us love, let us give, let us do good, not so that we can get, but because we know what we have been given. Let that be our desire that we would sow to the Spirit, even as we have freely received the Spirit through the ministry of your gospel. We thank you for your word, and we do trust that by your Spirit, you would bear fruit in the hearts of each hearer. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? Now may the grace of Christ, or may the, the grace of Jesus, of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest, rule, and abide with us both now and forever. Let all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.